Hi, it's David Poland with the hot button number 24, Encanto, Eternals, and the Trouble with Disney. I saw Encanto over the weekend. It isn't quite Moana. There isn't likely to be a hit single, but it's a pretty damn good movie. Moreover, it is a movie very much in line with the moment in social history that we're in. It's not what they're really selling, but the movie speaks with magic and music to the ideas of how we see ourselves individually, and more importantly, how we assume others see themselves and how wrong we can be. But here's the problem. Disney doesn't seem to be putting the hard sell on this animated movie as they once would have. This is the fourth animated film released by Disney since Onward got caught up in the pandemic, opening March 2020, and it's the first one since Onward to be released exclusively in theaters. Did you see all the hype around the Encanto premiere last Tuesday? Me neither. So why is Disney getting out of the animation business? Well, they aren't. I get it, they aren't. But they seem to have lost their passion for it. Why? Well, this is Bob Chapek's Disney, and this is Kareem Daniels' Disney. And between them, they decide how to prioritize content. And apparently they looked at the numbers on The Good Dinosaur and Onward and determined that an animated movie without a two or higher after its title, there is no point in spending a ton of money on marketing and trying their hardest to push it into orbit. And what's the problem with that? Well, nobody knows which one might become the next Toy Story or Frozen or The Incredibles Finding Nemo or Inside Out or even Coco, which grossed $800 million worldwide just after, just three years after the great Book of Life at Fox grossed just $100 million worldwide. Do you know what Coco is? The fifth highest grossing original in Disney animation history behind Frozen, Finding Nemo, Inside Out, and The Lion King. No one I know of expected that. So what of Encanto? Well, the songs aren't as memorable, at least for non-theater geeks, as the one hit in Coco or the remarkable songs of Frozen, or the Lin-Manuel Miranda songs in Moana. But it has a remarkable story that, while centered on one character, really does reach out to include a wide array, right, yeah, a wide array of personalities in a family, in every family, really. And because of that, I think the film could have a longer life than many of the other Disney animated releases. Will Disney rev up the engines for this the way they did for other films that became surprise sensations? It doesn't really feel that way. The idea of a group or person in a major distributor deciding how to distribute each piece of content that's being created is interesting. In many ways, it makes a lot of sense to me, but in the last two years of managing the animation content at Disney, if it was happening at any other studio, I'd have to assume they're getting out of that segment of the business. I don't think Disney's looking to sell Pixar, but if anyone else had an asset like that and they were treating it this way, well, Amazon would surely buy Pixar for $10 billion dollars and let Disney keep the rights to the last 25 years of Pixar films. Which brings us to The Eternals, or just Eternals for those of us under 50, which I'm not. It opened to $70 million domestic, theaters only. It's better than Ant-Man, or the first Thor, or the first Captain America MCU movies. Given the pandemic, it's clearly in range of something like Doctor Strange or Thor The Dark World, which is the sequel to the first Thor. I think the movie itself... It's quite bad overall. Some seem to disagree. But the movie did open. A set of characters without a major following, and it opened. Guardians of the Galaxy opened to $94 million in the summer with a marketing campaign that absolutely killed. So this opening for Eternals is not an embarrassment. Why did it happen? Because there was no guessing. There was no hedging. There was no day and date or promised Disney Plus release in a few weeks that will likely hit premium VOD in early December and maybe Disney Plus before the end of the year. The Marvel brand is not in play at Disney. It's too big. 
Had they opened Eternals with a Disney Plus premium VOD option, it would still likely have opened to the $60 million or so, maybe a million VOD units. But how would that affect the second weekend box office? We still don't really know all about that, though it seems to be an area of legitimate concern. Eternals will still likely drop 60 to 80% next weekend because it's not good. The problem is, overall, IP needs to be birthed. If you're creating endless variations on how content is distributed, you will inevitably create stillborns that could have been healthy, and you will keep investing in stillborns that should just be buried. The ego to believe that you or a couple of you know the result before you take the journey is where the trouble begins. No one has that skill to a certainty better than, what, 70% or so? It's not about any one vision. And what we know historically is that when this mindset leads, the decision makers invariably start protecting themselves with simpler narratives, clearer paths to success, sequels, reboots, and IP. Oh my. In a world in which there are such varied delivery options and the way of measuring success is also a blur, the act of creation of quote-unquote the next thing becomes more and more evasive. For instance, let's look at the hottest film entertainment title of the moment, Squid Game on Netflix. Squid Game happened inside of the Netflix release model. It wasn't released as a singularity because that's not how the company positioned it. They only do that for sequels and second seasons and their big movies. All the profile for Squid Game has come after it overperformed expectations. And it overperformed expectations by staying in the pocket of what Netflix does. And that is where my concern is mainly focused these days. The pocket of of the theatrical business is, to some degree, sewn shut. Every pocket has its good sides and bad sides. The problems for others seeking to imitate the Netflix model, for instance, is a lack of scale. But it is tantalizing. The hybrid release model, theatrical with some sort of VOD, also has problems selling the audience that is willing to spend money on the title on two different experiences at the very same time. 32 Flavors is great for Baskin-Robbins, bad for selling movies. An exclusive theatrical release comes with big marketing price tags and very little control over the buying decisions of the audience unless you have pre-sold content. Let's flip the script on that a little bit. Netflix is a complete failure at theatrical, even though they have engaged as many as 750 domestic screens at one time. Audiences are not paying the equivalent of a month of Netflix to see one show from Netflix on a bigger screen. The hybrid release model expands the potential audience count, at least in theory, and gives those disinclined to go to the movie theater a way to see the movie in the first wave, with a return on purchase sending significantly more back to the distributor. Theatrical offers the opportunity to build unexpected community and excitement that could lead to longer than expected holdovers, unexpected big hits, and a pile of actual cash and reputation that seems likely to increase the audience value of the content when it does land on streaming, even though it's already been exploited theatrically for, hopefully, months before that can happen. But whatever you're going to do with the individual piece of content, you have to care for the garden. You have to pull every weed, manage the soil quality, keep pests away from the plants. You have to market and promote and use social media and engage with the audience on their journey. This is not extraordinary. This is basic, foundational stuff. Think of it a little like gambling. The house makes its money in most games in the smallest of percentages. When you play blackjack, your edges on the house are hitting 21 and doubling down correctly. That is when you have a chance to be paid more than even money. If you play perfectly and you aren't hitting blackjacks, you will likely walk away no better than even and probably behind because the house indulges itself in almost every other advantage. Now, if you win 5% of the gambling tables, you feel like you've barely won. Five bucks on a hundred, whatever. 
but at least you didn't lose. If you lose 5%, however, you and the thousands and tens of thousands like you are keeping, are the people keeping the casino open. This is analogous to streaming. You get the fun of quote unquote gambling on what's going to come on, but the stakes are low. And as long as you and a lot of other people are playing, the house always wins. Theatrical followed by windows of other distribution is more like high roller tables. The stakes are higher. There's a lot of money to be made. There's a lot of money to be lost. And there's a lot more in play than the game of cards that you're playing. Now, the analogy breaks down here a little bit because if you're a whale in Las Vegas, they call super wealthy gamblers, you're going to be indulged no matter what you do, whether you're winning or losing, because they just want you to keep on gambling. In Hollywood, you can also get pampered for a while while you're losing, but lose enough and you are going to be kicked out of the casino. Nonetheless, streaming is a broadly a high-volume percentage play, and theatrical is a play where you actually incur losses, albeit losses now softened by other revenue streams. And if you have a big hit, everyone gets to luxuriate in the cash windfall. In the end, remember the 5% margin for streaming like, remembering the 5% margin for streaming like mass gambling, the goal in theatrical has always been to have your small number of big wins, pay for your losses, and then on top of that, leave you with 5%, 10%, 15% profit very rare that a studio has ever had much more than that. In the meanwhile, everybody gets their luxurious salaries as part of the machine. The most dangerous area, in my view, is when you can't make up your mind what you really want to be, trying to have both models going at the same time. The greatest fantasy in the industry right now is that it can walk right down the middle, picking the best from both sides and never losing a step. Hollywood has never been loaded with the ambidextrous. And it's even more complicated at Disney, where they also have a lot of revenue coming from broadcast and cable network television still, right now at least. And so they're juggling three balls, that'd be streaming, theatrical, and television. And then they're also got the parks, and then world-class merchandising on top of that. So it's really five balls they're juggling. I see Disney as the media company, the media content company, with the most great ambitions right now, with the potential to grow past Netflix. But I wonder often about their sense of themselves and whether they really understand what they are and how very different each of the balls they are juggling, trying to keep all in the air at the same time, really, really are. Until tomorrow.